welcome to this Foresight Biotech and Health Extension Group sponsored by 100 Plus Capital Seminar. This one was a conversation with Carl Flego from agingbiotech.info on longevity investing. Carl Flego is not only a wonderful investor who deeply cares about the space, but he's also gone through the motions of creating a pretty comprehensive spreadsheet that maps out pretty much everything that a newcomer has to know in the aging space and interesting projects to support. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Hi, everyone. Good to see all of you here. Um, in a nutshell, uh, I met Carl at a technical uh, longevity meeting that Fossa did quite a while ago, maybe five or six years ago already. Uh, and you your team. Well, yeah, it's been a while. It's been a moment. Um, and that was, uh, I think, at a time when, you know, investment was still definitely not something that was very mainstream in the longevity area. <laughs> Let's put it this way. <laughs> but uh, Carl was definitely already uh, getting his feedback um, uh, in, in investing in there uh, and then really proceeded not only to invest in angel invest, but also to create uh, the resource that many of you really cherish and love uh, and that I uh, um, keep referring people back to who are new in the space, which is agingbiotech.info. And it's a fantastic crowdsource document of a variety of different companies uh, all um, ordered and clustered according to really great um, uh, benchmarks and uh, um, where you can uh, have different ways of sorting through including diagnostics and so forth. And so hopefully we'll also talk a little bit about Aging Biotech Info in a second, but maybe just to bring people up to speed who may not know you here yet, um, maybe you could tell us a little bit about, about how you personally got into uh, the longevity investment field, because I think, as I understood from our first meeting, you were really in computer science uh, first. So super interested to hear how you got into the space. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um of course, right at this moment is when the street cleaner is going by. So, but that'll be going in a minute. Um, so, uh, so I'm a tech guy, PhD, Stanford, computer science, AI. Um, and then I worked at Google for about a decade doing big data. So, you know, knowing about data analysis and uh, machine learning. Um, and after uh, doing internet advertising and other things there, I decided to work on things that would help more people's uh lives and especially save lives. And um, after looking around a lot, uh, aging and longevity was the clear winner in terms of um, amount of good and lives saved and years of health given to people per hour of my time invested in per dollar um, donated or invested. Um, so so I my first intro to the field was basically philanthropic. Um, I did donations to uh, the Buck Institute in Marin, which is, uh, I'm based here in San Francisco. Uh, so that's close by and, uh, also to, uh, the Sands Research Foundation. And, um, for several years, all I did was donate and try to learn and ramp up by going to conferences and reading. Um, and then I got into trying to accelerate progress in the field primarily by, um, engaging, uh, by hosting events or trying to help those who are hosting events to bring together more uh, scientists and uh, entrepreneurs and uh, investors to help create a better ecosystem for um, people going off and starting companies. Because at the time that I got into the field, which is around 2013, um, NIH funding was was sort of dwindling or stable on an absolute level, but falling on a real inflation-adjusted level. And so people were starting to look for more sources of funding. And that was just when investors and venture capital and, and things like that were starting to dip their toes in um, as an extra new source of capital to do more science faster. Um, so we recognized, and a lot of people at the Buck, for example, you know, didn't know how to do that. Um, you know, the PhD students and the postdocs in the field didn't recognize jumping out and starting a company as a, as a really um, clear-cut career path or didn't know how to do it. And there was lots of people nearby in Silicon Valley, and so there was a bunch of efforts to bring those together, all in-person efforts. And some of them were successful and some of them weren't. And um, they all eventually kind of fizzled either because the people involved went off and started companies and got busy or because they weren't at scale or something or it wasn't quite the right time. And so, so then there was a sort of period where that didn't happen as much. And now in some sense, this this foresight community that's uh, come together online has been a really great reboot of that kind of idea, um, as has um, 
Nathan's on deck. Both of those communities are sort of fulfilling those needs that I was trying to do back in the mid 2010s. Um, so then around the 2017, 2016, 2017, I started realizing that I should probably start investing as these companies were coming along. I took a year, figured out how to do that while I was doing some other things. And I started investing in mid 2017. Um, did only a couple of companies then and really started ramping up in 2018, uh, doing angel investors. And now I've invested in 25 companies in the, almost exclusively in the longevity space and all, all biotech. Oh, okay. That's lovely. Um, we already have a question that got three upvotes. And so I think that, you know, in the interest of actually uh, keeping this running and uh, in, uh, in, in terms of upvotes, Tom Khalil, are you already ready to ask your question? <laughs> yeah. Um, my question for you is uh, what either companies or, or you could, uh, I suppose, refer to our researchers as well, uh, do you think have some of the most interesting proposed uh, clinical endpoints? So, so you mean novel clinical endpoints? Like they're, they've got some innovation in what they're trying to get accepted as a, I mean, most of the companies are going after existing, you know, lack of, lack of aging as a disease categorization. So they're going after existing clinical endpoints that are known indications, um, so are you asking for one of the most interesting like hacks of what clinical endpoint they go after in their clinical trials, given the, the palette that are available? Um, no, well, it, it could be interesting along whatever dimension you think is relevant. I, I think certainly one dimension is plausibility. Uh, that is, uh, it's conceivable that an, uh, an anti-aging therapy both would have benefits for a specific disease, but also would have, you know, broader aging related benefits. Right. So most of the good companies are going after that exact um, pairing, right? They, yeah. they, they, they want um, potential future off-label applicability to a wide variety, if not the entire pop aging population. And then they go after some particular, um, and there are some obvious, you know, this is actually one of the most interesting sort of aspects of the field that's really art as much as as science right now is figuring out what is the best pairing where you've got some fundamental mechanism of aging that you're trying to alleviate or interfere with and there's a particularly well-matched existing indication that you can go after for approval for full form formal regulatory approval and there are some obvious pairings like the company's going after you know, atherosclerosis are going after hypercholesterolemia. And, um, and then of course it's easy for all the analytic companies because there's so many different clinical indications that have, uh, senescent cell implication. So they're going after, um, you know, idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis or chronic kidney disease or any number of, you know, a dozen or two, uh, things in that space. Um, not quite. So, so yeah. So is there, so what, what, what follow up? question do you have along that has anyone which done a good job of of sort of mapping that of like what are these areas where there's a potential pairing between a specific disease indication so this uh, is a really interesting um information problem for the field and it's there's a so so aging biotech.info we'll talk more about uh, uh i'm sure in the next hour but um one of you know Fundamentally, that website is a bunch of interesting tables that are relevant to the field. And one of the, and I have a bunch of unlaunched tables that are in draft form. And one of them was a list of, of aging related diseases and, you know, some, some of that kind of mapping. Um, at the moment, you know, what happens is all the companies look at the mechanisms they have, you know, their method of action or the area of research they are. And they, and they map part of that space out themselves. Occasionally you get founders who, who, haven't decided what to, what their company is going to be, but they know they want to found a company who will try to make their own internal map of that space. And some of the umbrella companies or, or, or discos, as some of them like to call themselves, are making these, the, these kinds of maps internally for their own use. But there aren't any um, good mappings uh, of, you know, here's the area, here's a list of potential good indications for, for you that are public or free, as far as I know of. Um, that would be a valuable thing for someone to do in the field. And, you know, 
I started down that road and then more important other tables came along. And so I don't know if I'll ever get to that. We'll see. Um, thanks. Maybe that's a great segue into one of the other questions that, that I uploaded, which is, um, you know, what can you explain us a little bit more just on uh, bio, aging biotech.info? And uh, for one, what are good like shortcuts or hacks on how to use it? And two, what are uh, other features that may come online? I heard that there's maybe crowdsourcing coming online soon. So what are different ways to use it and contribute? Okay, so I'll, I'll talk about three things. Uh, bro broadly speaking, here's the history. Um, and then I'll, I'll talk about some tips on how to use it. And then I'll, I'll talk about for a minute or two about sort of, you know, what's on deck for 2022. Um, so the history is, um, as I was starting to do uh, investing in the space in 2018, and um, I had invested in probably six to, to eight companies um, by mid to late 2018, um, and I was going to conferences and paying attention to online and going to pitch meetings, uh, grad, you know, pitch deck days uh, for graduations of incubators um, like IndieBio and um, Breakout Labs. And I was making lists of all the companies that I should learn more about. And my list of companies was getting very long. And I kept reading these articles because, you know, the space was getting bigger. And I kept reading these articles about, you know, the 25 companies in the longevity space or what have you. And, and uh, you know, my list of companies was like 100. And I was like, Wait, well, how come all these articles aren't, aren't getting all the other companies? And so I realized that somebody needed to um, make a list for everybody. And so I just started trying to figure out how to make that list public and have it be more than just most of the lists were of the form. Here's the name of the company and here's a paragraph of prose. And then, you know, we repeat and we have 12 or 24 or something like that. And, and that was a big problem in the field in general is that there were blogs and there were, uh, you know, not very many podcasts. Uh, most of it was written, but almost all the written material, there were news articles, almost all the material was of the form of prose text. It was very little structured information. Um, so I realized that the field needed a, um, a more uh, formal way, you know, not necessarily a database, but at least, at least something in table form where you could really compare things and um, count things. And so that was the sort of philosophy of, of me creating a, a public website pro bono just for the good of the field um, that tried to organize as much of the important information in the field as possible, but in a structured way. And sort of the, and the main first important table was this list of all of the, the startups, the biotech startups in the area, because I felt like the, the, other, the other main point was to make it clear to the world just how many there were and how big this was getting. Um, the set of audio, you know, potential audiences for the site that I kept talking to in my life who didn't seem to realize how big it was getting included investors on um, both the people who were sort of budding investors in the space, but also the sort of venture capitalists and people who were in adjacent spaces or spaces that they, they kind of, some of their colleagues wanted to dip their toes in, but not all of them were. Um, and then, but also the people in the field, like the professors, the postdocs, the PhD students at the institutions didn't realize. And this, you know, and that was a shame because that was a big potential career direction for a lot of them to go in. So that was sort of my main motivation for making it. And so I launched it in, you know, I showed people at conferences in summer 2019 and launched it shortly after. Um, I launched it with about 100, uh, 70 to 80, soon 100 companies on it. And that quickly grew to about 150. And now there are probably 250 or something like that total uh, amongst the, the, the main company tab and also the, the on-deck, you know, companies that I still need to process tab. Um, it's just been growing. And there was a, there was a graph that the site used to have. You could really see the growth if you graph the number of new, there's a, there's a tab on the company's uh, spreadsheet there where you can, see a graph of the number of companies in the space that are founded by year that they're founded. And it, it's very much up and to the right. Um, so that's how the site came along. Um, I wanted it to be a way for people to follow along what's going on in the field, basically, but in a structured way, not a, here's the latest news cycle, uh, you know, something happens with one company. And so all the different sites and social media propagated. I wanted you to then go and look at, oh, here's all the list of similar companies in the, in the same area, blah, 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 compare 
you know, employee accounts or other information so you can tell just how big these companies are. So, um, so tips for using it. So from an investment point of view, so there's sort of two different use cases for the site. One is sort of onboarding new people to the space. Um, and I've made a whole bunch of changes over the past 12 months to help with that sort of onboarding process. So now there's a list of, instead of just companies, there's a list of podcasts, a list of books, um, and, and books that are available as audiobook, which most of them are, and podcasts are very, very useful for busy people, especially in adjacent or other fields who don't know and don't think they have enough time to learn and read a lot. Because uh, an audiobook or a podcast you can do while cooking, running, driving your car, bicycling, walking to the store, et cetera. Um, so, uh, so those are really important materials. So there's a list of podcasts, a list of books, there's a list of uh, journals, there's a list of video channels. Etc. So the bar at the top, agingbiotech.info, you can see, and there's just loads of useful material for people who don't know anything, who want to ramp up and figure out what is this field all about, etc. Cetera, et cetera. Um, and then there's the whole use case of follow along. You know, you basically know the field's there, you have the basics, and you just you, maybe it's not your day job in this field, but you want to follow along, or maybe it is, maybe it is a field you work on and you want to follow along. So um, that's what the company's tables for and the podcasts and some of the other tables. Um, so you can visit them from time to time as a reference and they can be useful jumping off points for more research. Um, at the moment, the company's table is woefully out of date due to the pandemic. I was distracted with some other attempts to save uh, lives during the pandemic. And uh, that'll be getting back to updating that this year in 2022. In addition, in 2022, um, I'm going to, uh, I want to open it up to, um, some more crowdsourcing. Um, so uh, there is now a um, a Google group for anyone who wants. So this is, you know, I don't want to make this site like a wiki where anyone can just come and, and edit it. So there's going to be some, um, you know, code reviewing or or uh, or checking um, at first. But uh, I want to open it up to people besides me making updates and edits and additions to it. Um, so the first step is I'm putting in the chat, there's a Google group that anyone who wants to is welcome to sign up for. And that purpose of that group is basically going to be to coordinate um, ideas for uh, making the site better, but also just for people who want to help make updates, uh, especially to the company table over the course of the next, this next year. And we'll see how that goes. And anyone who wants to is welcome to, to join and we'll talk about uh, uh, how to do things. So that's the, so that's the, basically the current plan. Um, Ah, okay. Well, lots to do. Okay, I'll share that also maybe in the Google group uh, afterwards here. Um, okay, next one up, we have uh, Stephen. Stephen uh, Molina, he was a university <coughs> fellow, uh, recently presented um, on his work. Uh, Stephen, what's your question? Uh, it looks like my question that's more popular is how much you worry about there being like a winter in the space. I guess expanding on it a bit more, it seems like the number of companies is at least increasing at some like high linear growth rate, if not even more than that. And I'm curious just how much you worry about with the increased excitement turning into disappointment if you have a few more high profile. So, and I'll answer your, your other question too. Um, so I don't worry. I think that two years ago, the you know risk of a couple bad failures hurting the field was greater, but now over the past two years, so much money has flowed in. The field has really gotten put on the map, and I don't think that's as nearly as much of a risk. Um, we had Unity's big failure, and that was followed by Restore Bio's failure, and, you know, those were two of the biggest companies in terms of hype and presence at conferences and the companies people talked about at everything and they were at each conference and things like that back in 2019 or so um and you know both of them failed their first trials and look at the space it's it's hardly even it, it was not wasn't even a speed bump so i'm not terribly worried about there being a big winter um at the moment uh i think that people are recognizing the inevitable logic of targeting the fundamental underlying molecular changes that underlie all the different chronic diseases, which has its sort of inherent inescapable logic of efficiency. Um, so I think that it's just going to continue to be up. Maybe there'll be a few speed bumps, but I don't think there's going to be a giant winter. 
you know, nothing analogous to, for example, the adventure that happened in neural networks after you know, the end of the 60s, which basically stopped research for a decade in that area. I think that if anything, things are going to keep expanding and more and more of biology is going to be devoted to this, you know, to this area or layering these kinds of issues on top of whatever other biology they were looking at. Um, and your other question was, um, where do I fall on the spectrum of, of high risk, longer term um, versus shorter term, um, but maybe more likely, you know, more certain ROI? Um, you know, the short answer is both. Um, but, uh, the, you know, I think that there's sort of, um, three, you know, I don't, I don't do the super short term, right. The sort of the one end of the spectrum is sort of, there's a whole bunch of companies and a whole bunch of work on like nutraceuticals. Um, and, uh, I don't do much of that personally with my own and investing, although I do think it's important. And I think that there's state wins there. Um, and I think it is getting a lot of attention Um, you, what you tend to see is that in the field right now, the shorter term stuff is getting plenty of resource. So, uh, I don't feel as much need to play there, um, because I think it, they're already getting a lot of investment dollars and research dollars. Um, but I don't specifically try to shy away from it either, but I definitely want to be involved in some of the longer term things because I have a long investment horizon myself personally. You know, that's one of the advantages of not being uh, a venture capitalist with LPs. Uh, uh, so I take advantage of that. Um, but but I definitely do some investments where I think the, the you know, they're going to have exits within a couple of years because they're that's the way their milestone plans work. Um, so both, basically. And I think both are, you know, and from a, the field's point of view, I think obviously the field wants to do, but the field needs to do both at the same time. And I think it is. So I think that's great. Okay. Then I'll throw uh, another ball into your direction, uh, which is um, what is the model underlying your personal investment? So I think that, you know, uh, you've already spoken a little bit about aging biotech.info, uh, but I would love to know just personally, is there any model that, uh, model that, model that you're pursuing? Well, so first of all, so I'll just, I'll say, I'll say three main points about the model, about my model. Um, so first of all, I'm laser focused on aging and longevity. So I, you know, before a lot of the people I was colleagues with in the tech world at Google, um, morphed into, you know, tech investors or investors, you know, typical Silicon Valley type investors who invest in sort of anything that's new technology, you know, this whole belief that technology is great. And, you know, where some of them just did a lot of specifically like computer science type investing. And I never did any of that. Um, I only got into investing um, in startups for aging and longevity because of how important it is. And I am laser focused on it. I'm one of the few investors I know in the Bay Area or anywhere that pretty much exclusively invests in longevity or aging um, biotech startups. Um, so, uh, so that's sort of, one thing. And then the second thing is, I, I think my, my underlying main philosophy on how I pick the startups to invest in is I, I kind of have a divide and conquer um, approach to the way I view the field. And then I want my investing to mimic that. So, you know, the reason that we all, you know, what is it that we all believe in the field about health and medicine that's different from the old model of health and medicine, right? It's that is that there's all these underlying molecular changes that happen in the sort of middle decades of life, years and decades before actual clinical diagnosable levels of chronic disease surface. And we believe that targeting those underlying molecular changes decades before the, they become full-blown <clears throat> cancer, heart disease, diabetes, Alzheimer's, et cetera, is much better than the current sort of sick care model. Um, so, but those, what are those underlying molecular changes? Well, obviously there aren't, there's just one. There's many of many different kinds. And in order to really fix aging, I think quite a large fraction of the field now agrees you need to fix a bunch of different things. Um, so there's a bunch of different divide and conquer ways to, to, to break the field up. Um, the SENS model came along a while ago and the hallmarks of aging is in some ways on different other divide and conquer. There was pillars of aging, but whatever your method of breaking it up is, um, I, my own personal philosophy for investing is to sort of look at all of those and try to find 
good solutions, you know, and ideally for the most important of them, multiple different solutions or shots on goal, um, and then invest in the most important of those uh, as much as I can. Um, so, for example, uh, you know, doing something about senescent cells is just clearly important. And so I've invested in three companies that that work on that because it's so important. And, um, you know, et cetera. There's a bunch of different other ones. So I have a kind of a divide and conquer approach to the way I think about the field, but also the way I think about what companies I would want to invest in. Um, and then the last aspect, and, and I, I do, so I guess I'll say two more things. So one is that I don't, I try very hard to stay away from things that duplicate changes that can be done with lifestyle. So I'm not a fan of my, for my own personal investments of investing in lifestyle memetics. So diet memetics or calorie restriction memetics or exercise memetics. Um, there are, I, I'm more interested in the things that will also extend the lives, uh, the healthy lives of people who have whatever is the theoretically optimal lifestyle. So that's a personal preference on my part. Um, it also just helps me narrow the field down so that I, it's not too much. Um, and I have a lot of interest in non-invasive or minimally invasive diagnostics and biomarkers. Those have problems from a business model point of view, but I do a bunch of investments in that area. Okay, super useful. Thanks. Uh, David Brown. Uh, hi, Carl. Uh, this is a bit of an expansion <clears throat> on uh, Stephen's question. I, I'm curious to get your take on, for aging investors in general, if there's more leeway uh, from an ROI perspective, um, given just the fact that aging therapies and the studies that uh, you know they need to do to support them uh, take so long. So like, you know, when you go to an investor pitch with someone who's doing, uh, who's interested in investing in aging, are there any people where it's reasonable to say, yeah, we've got a, you know, 20 year, uh, plan here. Um, and no, we, we don't have any plans to make some, you know, offshoot profit in the short term. Um, are there opportunities for that? And yeah. Um, so most companies don't take that approach, right? They, they need, it's hard to get investment money that's willing to sit around and give you 20 years before they see return. So most companies have to figure out a shorter term way to get regulatory approval um, and, you know, find some other indication that they can go after. But then, but then with the promise that, you know, with the hope that the, um, when they get regulatory approval for that, which will give them business success and, you know, clinical success will then lead to business success just on that basis. Then the idea is that the longer term aging aspects uh, will basically just be additional ROI on top of that. Um, and, you know, the icing that is much bigger than the cake in the end. Um, uh, the exceptions are the, the sort of Calico's and Altos Labs of the world where you get, you know, really deep pocketed investors who who set them up to to almost be more like research science things where they're where they're willing to wait a decade for a return because they have such deep pockets but the majority of the space in terms of numbers of companies if not amount invested uh, don't have that kind of 20-year time frame and in fact for example the majority of companies you know 200 plus companies in the, in the area and almost none of them do lifespan studies even on months right? That's very un unusual for a startup in the space. They might have, they might have grown out of academic work where there are lifespan studies or where the intervention testing program has done, you know, has tested that molecule on mice, but it's not a common thing for a company itself to run a lifespan, you know, an 18 month or longer lifespan study on, on mice, for example. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Can I, can I ask a quick follow-up, just your opinion? Um, do you think there's any risk that that's a that's a problem that we've got you know 99% of companies pursuing i would say like a a pseudo objective function when the real objective function is 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 lifespan is that is there a risk that you know we're going to not see what we want yeah this is a good question right so is there you know i think it's very clear that 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 the current model that i that i just said the go after the indication model right is um going to produce useful things 
things, right? So I don't think it's I don't think it's bad. It's not it's not going in the wrong direction. Um, the question is: Is there something that we're missing by only ha- by only doing that? And I mean, you can never know for sure, but I don't think so. I think it's just more a question of the speed of the progress. So if we can eventually come up with surrogate endpoints for clinical trials that are reasonable approximations to underlying um, increases in aging or increases in mortality risk or something like that, that might speed things up. Um, but, but all fields of scientific progress um, proceed from improvements that are in the sort of five, you know, three to five year, to, you know, P, what units of PhDs, you know, dissertations roughly, right? Or, you know, or at most 10 year um, projects, very few scientific areas, you know, rely on 20 year time frame projects. And yet most, you know, yet there's still good progress. Uh, I think we had one comment here from Mir who wanted to chime in, if that's okay. Here you had a comment on Nice Ben. Uh, yeah, Carl, first of all, this is really great to have heard that. I, I don't think I've heard your story. I kind of knew where you are. I didn't hear the story. So it's it's really nice meeting you like that. Uh, I, I think this lifespan issue is really important. It's actually a lot on, on my mind. And it's true that uh, it's a big undertaking. Look, you want it in mammalians and it takes three years to do lifespan, although I think that you can start in middle age, but then you you go into the expenses of of middle age and stuff like that. Right, just so, getting the getting the animals to do middle age is expensive. Right, right. So you know, I I think it's a big burden, and it's a big burden for biotech. You hope that uh, maybe the academicians have done something like that, but I I think the alternative for that is measurements of health span and and more precisely. You know, when you hit any one of the of those hallmarks of aging, you get also effects on others, right? You can clear autophagy and mitochondrial function and metabolism is improved, etc. So I think if you have a story that shows that you affect more than one specific system, you know, to, to treat diabetes is not like uh, treating aging, okay? But if, if you treat diabetes and and genetic instability is improving and epigenetic is changing, then there you have a story. So I think you have to hit more than the indication you're going with, and maybe we can have some comfort uh, in that. And, and I think certainly the second thing is hopefully we'll have all those biomarkers and and then the biomarkers will be a good surrogate. So, so what you're saying about hitting multiple different areas is exactly right. But where that comes in is the ROI that the investors see that makes the company more valuable from an investor point of view, but it doesn't help you hit regulatory approval. You still have to go to regulatory approval for some specific indication. Um, and then the idea is that you maybe, maybe it gives you multiple shots on goal because there's more than one indication you can go after simultaneously. But in addition, the, it doesn't really help you achieve any one of those regulatory approvals. But what it does is it makes you more valuable if you're successful. So it, it, it increases the, the reward without necessarily decreasing the risk. Right. Lovely. Thank you. Uh, next one that was uploaded is, what is the best way for new folks entering the longevity space to plug in? Right. So I talked about this a little bit with the uh, when I talked about the how to use aging biotech.info for onboarding, right? I mean, the, if you're totally new, you know, the first thing is, you know, expose yourself to the basics, right? Go find one of the good books and there's a list of on the aging biotech.info slash books and read it. Maybe read two books and start at the same time listening to a bunch of the podcasts, most of which are in the form of interviews and are very easy to sort of listen to while you're doing something else. Um, and, you know, if you're scientifically minded, you can start reading the primary journal articles um, and, you know, what, you know, from there, it depends on what kind of involvement you want to have, right? If you're just somebody who wants to pay attention on the side, then you just keep doing that. You read, you read things and you listen to podcasts and, um, and that's enough. Um, maybe look at some of the YouTube video channels. Um, if you're somebody who wants to then have a role in the field specifically, then the most important thing to do is to start once this pandemic enable is over enough to enable in-person events is to start 
you know, going to in-person events. Um, and that's a good way to really, you get more from the conversations you, you have at those than just these virtual things. Um, but, uh, but, you know, also finding like, if you want to actually have a career in this area and actually switch your job to it, then it's, it's, it's good to find a way to contribute with what you know now, you know, whatever skills you have and then ramp up from that. Um, then, you know, and that there's a whole bunch of different use cases there, depending on where you're coming from and, and what kind of, you know, whether you want to be an investor or want to become a biologist, you know, completely yourself within so there's sort of a bunch of subcategories there, but um, that's that's the high level. Great. I just posted the application form for our global meetups uh, in the chat. So we are collaborating with a variety of different organizations, uh, including with uh, On Deck, Longevity Biotech, including with VitaDAO and a few others to just get more global meetups uh, on uh, um, on the map. And On Deck is a good example of like they have a whole like apprenticeship program where you can apply to so if you really want to be part of the field but you're coming from something different you can that's one way to sort of engage directly with an online virtual community that at a higher depth than just participating in these calls or asking questions at conferences or things like that i do think that they currently have another fellowship open and uh, like another round that people can uh, apply to yeah. which i think yeah. closes mid-february so probably by the time that this airs the round is still they're going to do i think they're going to do cohorts every quarter so okay the one. So. Uh, great. We have Nathan here already commenting in the chat, but for everyone who's watching this on YouTube, uh, that's probably still open by the time that this airs. Um, okay, cool. Uh, then we have, uh, just going down the list, uh, Tom Khalil. Uh, you can ask your next question from Discord, and then uh, I see a few more people typing, so uh, we'll probably get to you afterwards. Oh, my, I, I guess I had two other questions. One was whether you had any special insights about what happened with the Unity trial, uh, number one, and number two, whether on your uh, aging biotech uh, website you've listed the subset of companies that you've personally invested in. Uh, okay, so in reverse order, um, I uh, I don't highlight my own personal investments on the table of companies because that would seem too much like um, uh, that seems a little too funky and uh, like I'm promoting them. Um, the list of companies I invested is on my AngelList page, so you can just search. Angel lists my, my name and that page should come up first. It's like angel.co slash my name with hyphens, I think. Um, uh, so that has the full up-to-date list of the companies I've invested in, which is also mentioned in the about page for um, AsianBiotech.info. So it's not trying to be hidden. Um, so, uh, and then your first question was about Unity's trial. You know, this was talked about a lot. I have no particular special insight. Um, I can repeat the sort of, standard answers that are that were talked about a lot you know it was a it was a trial for uh, a senolytic to um kill senescent cells in osteoarthritic knees that we use in local administration um and it uh you know the 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 two the two main things that i've heard most about explaining why it failed are one is that you know senescent cells help create hyperinflammation um but that the signaling molecules that do that are are systemically uh, circulating in, in the body. So uh, killing them only locally only minimizes that to a certain extent. I mean, they are there are paracrine type signaling that's local as well, but but um, killing the ones in the knee might not decrease that inflammation enough. And then the other problem was, I think that they didn't, you know, specifically test how many senescent cells there were because it's not easy to 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 specifically assay that um, and then how many you know whether that or not they were actually killed and it's possible that actually killing them might have happened but but you know in osteoarthritis the problem is you have this cartilage degeneration and you know there's a there's a whole cascade of damages and if you intervene too late um you know killing senescent cells isn't going to bring the cartilage back so you, you might not affect functional outcomes as well so there's a whole bunch of there's a whole bunch of problems with that kind of local uh, killing of senescent cells, um, uh, especially where there's downstream problems that aren't necessarily then the sustained consequence of the continued existence of the senescent cells. Um, but I'm not, I'm not a particular expert on that. Trial, so. I, I do think, you know, my own personal opinion is, you know, we have a lot of companies going after um, senescent cells now and a lot of clinical trials um, 
underway or or being ramped up. Um, I personally invested in three different companies doing working on Synalytics. Um, and I think that we're going to have, you know, successful Synalytic trials within certainly within 10 years. Um, and I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it was within five years. Um, you know, there's of course, a whole bunch of Mayo uh, trials going on right now, too. I have hopes for those. Though I have no financial interest in them. Lovely. Thank you. Um, let's see if we have a few more uh, folks from the audience. So we have a few Zoom questions as well. So um, maybe going down the list here. Um, Larry, if you want to go for it, uh, feel free. Hey, let me unmute. Um, yeah, are there any good, like, primary animal models that companies have developed? Um, you know, there are some, you know, relatively short-lived monkey species, you know, that live, you know, 10 or 20 years, and maybe you can intervene, you know, because the rodent models are always, you know, considered a little bit problematic. Um, and, and, and the other thing is, is um, you know, for drugs, it's very difficult to, um, you know, to go, like you said, to go through the regulatory hurdles. I mean, you know, people have claimed, you know, magical things about dietary supplements and things like that. You know, are there, you know, rigorous trials being done on some of these, um, you know, dietary supplements that, um, you know, have been, um, you know, implicated in, in, in perhaps, uh, you know, helping, you know, telomere stay and, and, and things like that. I mean, are, are companies willing to pursue that knowing that they're not going to end up getting patent protection and, um, you know, I mean, that's a big problem. You know, I've been involved in trying to get repurposing efforts done on COVID drugs, and it's it's almost impossible because, you know, they, they just won't do it because there's there's no, you know, there's nothing to be earned. That, you know, when even, you know, rigorous vitamin D trials, as you know, um, are very difficult to well to get funded. And to, um, OK, so so for your first question, which was um, primates. So. I'm not aware of any companies that are working on primates, especially not, I mean, a company is unlikely to be the, the one who pioneers new model species if they're expensive. Um, you know, the only company I know of in this space that tried to pioneer a new species was called Daphnia, which is a small little water flea. And that company didn't, it didn't work out. Um, there's basically one researcher who's been pushing that species um, uh, and um, you know, the company didn't work out, but maybe it, it has nothing to do with how hard it is to push a new model species. I, I don't know. Um, but I haven't heard of any companies sort of trying to develop or push the, the, the sort of frontier of using primates. Now, obviously there is some work on primates. Um, you know, obviously they've done calorie restriction research on, on primates and, and primate, you know, uh, non-human primate, toxicology is a very commonly done thing by many companies. Um, but doing the actual lifespan studies or biomarker studies, you know, I, mostly primates are a lot more expensive to work with than mice and companies already find mice to be very expensive. Right. So, uh, I don't think, I think that most of the, um, pushing the boundaries of new things in terms of model species is going to be done in academia. Um, that's kind of my, my sense. Uh, I'm no, I'm by no means an expert on this. Um, and I guess there's this new organization that came along pretty recently in the last year that's specifically pushing for new, um, new species, but, uh, I don't remember the name. Um, okay. So onto your other question about, uh, nutraceuticals and supplements. So there's definitely a lot going on on that, right? There's a lot of, um, work in industry as well as academia on that. And I think that the fact that you, you know, you can't do, um, the fact that it's easier to get on the market is enough of a, the, the pro from a company point of view is that it's fast to get on the market. And the con is that it's fast for competitors. It's harder to protect from an, uh, an IP perspective. And so it's easier for competitors to try to outcompete you and sort of look what's, ha look what is going on with NAD plus, um, precursors, for example, right? There's, multiple active companies competing with each other. But um, the fact that it's hard to run rigorous clinical trials um, has not hurt the um, interest in companies and investors going after it. I and mean, look at what's happened with, you know, alpha-ketoglutarate, for example, um, is 
they just had a publication, you know, with a collaboration in Brian Kennedy's lab at, in Singapore, and there's a company that's been sponsoring it. Um, you know, and there's lots of stuff like that going on. And even the big companies are you know, are in that space in addition to the space of, of more um, pharmaceutical therapeutics. Um, Juvenescence has a whole arm disclaimer. That's one of my investments, but they have a whole arm of, of pushing these nutraceuticals. So, um, so yes, it's hard to run really rigorous clinical trials, but the thing about the nutraceuticals is that, you know, the consumers can decide, so you don't have to convince the FDA as much as you have to convince the consumers. Um, you know, yeah, the United States clinical trials were a little better. So the people had more intelligent, trustable data, but. Yeah. And and again, a lot of, you know, chicanery in that area too. I mean, you know, you know, probably, I mean, you know, there's a lot, you know, they advertise probably as much as anybody, but you know, the data is very thin and, and, and things like that. And some of these, on some of these things. Absolutely. This is a big problem. Like ideally we would have better data and, you know, right now, one of the big problems, right. Is that there's a big regulatory, you know, regulation is this step function, right? There's this clear line between pharmaceutical and nutraceutical. And there's like almost too much regulation on the pharmaceutical and not enough regulation on the nutraceutical side of the line. It would, should be a, a, a smoother slope ideally, but I, it's not clear how the world gets to that from where we are at the moment. Yeah. Um, all right. Allison tells me near one. Yeah. Thanks, Carl. Near, you want to try with? Yeah. I, I just want to pick up on uh, the argument about mice and monkeys. So we, we always said, hey, listen, you guys in any disease, you don't have good models. You can treat Alzheimer in mice. It has nothing to do with uh, with humans, the diabetes model or not. But we, we always said, we have, it, aging is so conserved. It happens the same. We learned from uh, nematodes and from flies and mice are mammalians and they're a pretty good model and their aging is very similar to ours, okay? So last month we contributed a really interesting paper. It's published in Nature Aging. By the way, Nature Aging for the first year is not is not going to be on PubMed, so it's hard to get those papers. But what we did is we did a study on centenarians, centenarians um, with 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 a, with an increased health span, and we basically did whole exome sequencing of thousands of people. And we ask, what are the rare genotypes that are different between centenarians and people who don't have longevity in their family? And what what we've discovered is that those rare genotypes uh, are exactly, they, they fall in the pathways of exactly what we know and what we learn from animal. mTOR, insulin IGF signaling pathway. Uh, AMP kinase, MIC, all those things where almost whatever we do longevity in animals, we actually get it in humans. And I think this will be a, a very strong argument why our animals are actually pretty good and that you don't need to go necessarily to and spend more, not only money, but time. I mean, how can you do it with animals that are living eight to 10 years? Uh, I, I think the animals have actually been very successful for us. So I'll also point out that uh, I think it was a, there's a, a Stanford researcher um, named uh, Mark Krasnow, who's been trying to popularize mouse lemurs as a new interesting species for, for biology in general and for, from health and medicine in general. I posted on LinkedIn and Twitter about maybe this would be a good species for aging, but this is not something that's currently done and certainly not by companies. But, you know, it's an interesting species because they have lifespans like dogs, but they're quick breeding and they're about as small as mice. Um, and they naturally suffer all the, all the aging diseases that mice don't naturally suffer, like AD, you know, dementias and cancer and strokes and atherosclerosis. Uh, anyway, I think they're, I think they're basically a mouse sized, um, not, maybe they're a primate. I'm not sure. They're not, they're not a, they're not a rodent. All right. Next one, we have Steve Fox. Um, I've seen several of the, um, the startup aging, anti-aging companies that have um, some uh, risk that I'm aware of that may, they may or may not be regarding end run risks based on generic technologies. 
nutrients and possibly with some of the stuff coming out about ivermectin, um, generic drugs as well. Um, can you give us your opinion about whether that's a problem or not? Well, this is the this is one of the reasons why I don't personally invest in memetics for things that can be done with livestock, right? Um, I, I actually think that probably if you had a magic drug that just allowed people to eat more donuts, that probably you are, you know, the end run in that case would be people stop eating donuts and now your drug doesn't have any sales, right? Uh, because people realize how bad donuts are suddenly and they wake, wake up to what we've known for decades. Um, but personally, I think that would probably still be a pretty good business model to, to simply allow people to eat more donuts, even if all the non-donut eating people in the world got no health benefit from it. Um, and so, you know, calorie restriction medics, exercise medics, right? You know, they all have that as a sort of a risk. Now, your, your, your question is a little bit, so that's why I don't invest in that. Um, now, your question is a little more broad, right? So there are lots of other things that you can't necessarily do, but maybe some repurposed drug might affect the same pathway or, you know, it's super cheap. Um, you know, I mean, this is, this is in, some, in some sense, your question is the analog for, for pharmaceuticals and things that are going to regulatory um, pharmaceutical pathways of the question of, that was earlier about, you know, nutraceuticals in general, because then some other company can come along with a different competing nutraceutical and just, you know, out-compete you. Um, you know, in lots of areas, there's no... IP protection, right? Most of computer science, you know, most of the internet era, the .com 1.0 and .com 2.0 were not built on things where you had IP protection from new competitors coming along and just doing the same thing as you, but better. Um, Instead, the business model there is you build a good product, you build a good team and you run faster and make it better than your competitors. And so... um, you know, in the in the case of a regulatory thing where maybe it's going to be expensive, like what? Why would a generic come and out compete you? Well, maybe it's a lot cheap. Um, but if your thing is just a little bit better and it's not that much more expensive, then you can probably out compete, right? And one of the reasons we do this, one of the reasons we believe that aging is going to be so lucrative um, for interventions, drugs, or any other kind of therapeutic intervention, whether it's a surgery or whatever. Right. Well, surgery is not so much, but, um, but you know, if you've got a pill, if you've got a pill, it really does affect EJ. You don't have to price it outrageously, right? You can actually price it so much that it's not actually that much more expensive than generics, right? The, um, the trend in recent decades to more and more expensive drugs is caused primarily by the fact that the drugs are targeting narrower and narrower patient populations, right? So if there's only 2,000 people in the world who could take your thing and it costs a billion dollars to develop it, you need to price it pretty high. But if we get a pill that can that everybody who's over 40, you know, can take, even if only they only take it once a month or, or once every six months or something like that, if your addressable market is four or five billion people, then it can have a profit margin that's pretty small. So, so maybe that's defense against... Um, you know, some of these end runs as well. I don't know. Uh, but, at, but you know, clearly there's plenty of investment interest and I don't think too many people are worried. Mostly like if you find a generic that attacks some of the same pathway, you can usually optimize your drug to be that much better in terms of bioavailability or lower side effects or something like that. Okay, going back to Discord questions, uh, we have Brad English with a question. Um, Brad, if you want to go... Oh, yeah, sorry. Sure. Um, well, you know, feel free to follow uh, offline with this one. But I was curious, having a PhD in computer science and doing um, big data, data science and being in longevity as you are now currently, if you advise uh, companies, entrepreneurs, et cetera, at that interface, because it's still kind of rare, but it's definitely growing a lot with different biomarker companies coming up and stuff. Um, so a lot of the companies I've invested in do have some you know, machine learning or AI component to their platforms. Um, I, you know, I don't get too down into the details, but I do high level kinds of, you know, I give them high level kinds of advice. Uh, 
computer science moves very fast, right? If you're out of the game for five years, you're behind. So, you know, I'm, I'm behind on the latest details, but I know enough of the theory and the high level to be able to talk intelligently about the high level details. So yes. So yes, I invite, I advise companies on those kinds of issues, um, at a high level, but I don't, you know, get down into the code with them or, or recommend specific tools or things like that. Does that answer your question? Yes, I was resting the mute button there for a second. Absolutely. Thank you, Carl. Lovely. Well, I'm hoping as a Foresight Fellow that uh, you also get the mentorship of Carl, potentially. Um, okay, lovely. Uh, next one, uh, we have, uh, maybe we have time for this one. Let's see. Uh, David Brown, you had another one that got uploaded. Uh, yeah, I had a question about, so uh, you mentioned that most startups, they have this, uh, they have a pitch where they have some short-term ROI and then they might, most startups in the aging space, the short-term ROI, and then they also might help in aging uh, uh, for the long-term. And I'm just curious, um, do you have any advice for how to pitch kind of that dual concept? Uh, it, you know, you have such a limited time and you really need to be sharp and focused with your uh, when you're in the early stages. So how do you say, oh, we're going to do this for this disease, but we're also going to help aging? H how do you see startups do that successfully? The the common template is that, you know, the is that a pitch, whether it's the deck, you know, both the deck and the and what's said verbally, will um, show that there's something that's clearly fundamental about something aging related and that they have data. Usually there's some academic data um, that, that, you know, helped create the idea for the company and that they have data that shows that their thing that they're going after, their target or, or their method on their platform will affect that. And that the, the science that's established, you know, already before, before the company came along shows that if you affect that, you're likely to, you know, beneficially help with aging. Um, and then they show you know, the indication that they're actually going to go after go to market, you know, or maybe a sequence of them and, and show how that area of aging is related to the, the clinical pathology, you know, the cascade of, of pathology that's involved in that particular indication. And then they talk about things like markets, you know, adjustable market size for that, um, for that indication in terms of how many people suffer from it and, you know, who the competitors are in that area, things like that. Um, so it, you know, so, Sort of the answer to your question is basically the two parts of the question you asked back at you, right? It's like they, they talk about both, right? You, you, and, and a lot of people won't invest if they don't understand the, you know, what fundamental aspect of aging is, is getting after is, is being going, you know, how is it at least somehow related to aging or, you know, where, where it goes into a different category, right? Um, and then, uh, not all the companies, you know, at early stages, some of the companies are just, at an exploratory stage and they haven't even decided on which indication to go after. And so some of the, you know, at, at seed stage or pre-seed stage, sometimes you don't know what the indication is going to be yet, but you just invest if you think, if you trust the team and you think they have, they know what they're doing. And if you, and if the area that they're going after seems very good. Great. Thank you. Well, we are now two minutes over time. Uh, so thanks a lot for Carl. Uh, thank you so, so much for joining. Um, I know that at the end of the, uh, the day, um, there's always like lots of uh, questions still trickling in, but I think we'll leave it at this for now uh, in the hope that maybe you come back uh, another time. Uh, I am very excited to see those of you who are still interested in chatting on Discord and the biotech channel, um, that's online there now. And somehow Carl have also made, uh, has made his way to Discord, which, uh, is, uh, I, I, I see as a huge feat, uh, because, um, uh, yeah, because it's, uh, it's very hard to, uh, to get you over there. So uh, I'll I think do a pass, uh, on the questions that we, I'll at least look at the thumbs up questions on the Discord. If, and if we didn't get to one of them, I'll type out a quick short answer. Okay, so that's so a continue to thumb up on the Discord real quick if there's a question that we didn't address and you want to see it answered. Wow, that's a very rare, 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 uh, uh, rare opportunity that you get there. So uh, if you still want another question answered, then uh, hop over there. I'm seeing many of you for next week's policy discussion with Dylan. More info on that will be sent out. And then a few of you in person, hopefully, um, uh, all outside for our global meetups and uh, those will be happening likely on a monthly basis all COVID permitting but for now we're three minutes over time uh, and I'll see you on Discord for those who want to continue chatting 
Uh, thank you so much for joining, Carl. This was very, very, very useful, I think, and not only to me, but to everyone here in the group. So thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Did this conversation pique your interest? Maybe it even inspired a bit of existential hope about the future in you. Search for Fawcett Institute on YouTube or Twitter to stay up to date. Or visit Fawcett.org to learn more, subscribe to our newsletter and join our efforts. We are entirely funded by your donations. So please support us if you like what we do. Thank you so much for listening.